Welcome to episode number 120, Developing a Deepening Relationship with Christ. I'm your host, Damon Soka. Have you ever asked yourself, why is this so difficult? Why do I feel that I'm not gaining any ground? Why doesn't the Lord make it easier to develop a solid relationship with Him? I will admit that I have struggled deeply wondering why mortality needs to be so difficult, especially when it comes to communicating with our Father and Savior. Certainly, there have been times when I have felt a strong presence, but I will admit that those bright light moments tend to dim significantly when mortal frailties come to bear upon us. I often think of Peter, who in one moment declared his vowed loyalty to the Savior, and not before the night had ended, had denied the Savior multiple times. That is one story that each of the writers of the four Gospels included, and that is noteworthy. It's also important that Peter allowed for it to be recorded. As I have pondered what Peter might have been thinking in that particular moment in time, I often wondered about my own life and how easy it has been while suffering with mental illness to do just what Peter did, or at least feel that way. Now, each of us came to this earth with a really a simple mission, find Christ and follow him, or as the scriptures state, to come unto Christ. Now, we had already accomplished this to a certain extent before we came to this earth. Christ led the way in pre-mortality as he does in mortality. He was called the Word, simply meaning that he possessed not only the truth, but was authorized to preach it and to bind his preaching through covenants. Obviously, if we are born into mortality, then we chose in some manner to be aligned with Christ. Our beliefs, faith, and loyalty were of varying degrees in pre-mortal life. Some were entirely loyal and developed deep and abiding love of the Savior, and others, at a minimum, didn't rebel. We were not alike in our spiritual development and loyalty to the Lord as we entered mortality. We differed in significant ways, and that's really not difficult to see given the various propensities of the people of the earth to commit serious sin and truly turn from the Father and Savior. It makes sense, given the differences of loyalty, that some individuals would turn from Christ in mortality and others would turn to him. To the level that they listened to him here, or listened to them there, they would seek him here. We are, by our nature, spiritual beings who possessed great knowledge before this mortal final examination and veil. I'm most certain that many of us, like Peter, thought, there is no way I will ever deny the Christ or have any difficulty finding him. And yet, we have Peter. He was called before this earth to be the chief apostle of the Lord, to walk with him, talk with him, and be near him throughout his ministry. No doubt, Peter was one of the most noble and valiant servants of the Lord. So it is, in some ways, comforting to see one of the more valiant servants stumble in his testimony in one weak moment. I have found hope in Peter's story and in his subsequent devotion to Christ. Even after the death of Christ and his resurrection, Peter still needed to be reminded of his responsibilities as the chief apostle. Thus, we have the Feed My Sheep story that recounts how lovingly the resurrected Savior reminded Peter of what it means to be loyal to the Lord. I am grateful to Peter for allowing us to see his moments of mortal weakness, because I personally find great solace in the idea that 
even one of the most loyal premortal spirits, struggled given mortality's difficulties and weaknesses. Development of a relationship and dutiful loyalty to the Lord was actually never intended to be an easy accomplishment during mortality. Our agency had to be entirely ours during this life, and that means simply that we would be placed in a state of mortality where both sides of the truth equation would be open to our view. Lucifer would be able to easily spread his lies before our eyes, and the Lord his truth, and we would be able to learn by our own experience good and evil. The one thing that we would bring with us to this fight is our premortal testimony and devotion to the Savior. But as we see in Peter's case, sometimes mortality and Lucifer find their way into our life. We possess yearnings within our own spirit that leads us to develop our relationship with the Lord, and we also possess at the same time mortal chemistry and yearnings in our mortal bodies for the things of the world. Now we know well the scripture that teaches us that men are free according to the flesh, and all things are given which are expedient unto man. And they are free to choose liberty and eternal life through the great mediator, or to choose captivity and death according to the captivity and power of the devil. Now what has concerned me throughout my life, especially considering my experiences with mental illness, is just how difficult it has been for me to develop a deep and abiding relationship with the Savior. It feels at times that mental illness is truly the perfect imperfection. Now that may come as a shock to many of my friends and family who have often considered me spiritual in nature. Mental illness feels as though the Lord is allowing for every method of relationship development to him to be altered to the point that it can feel impossible to build a deep and abiding relationship with him. I have struggled profoundly at times to feel any form of loving relationship, including that of the Savior. Now, I've discussed throughout my podcasts the many ways that mental illness interferes with our ability to feel loved, to feel the Spirit of the Lord, to feel valued, or even to feel truth, to feel hear and spiritually see the Savior in our lives. Today I am going to talk about five ways that I have found to be helpful in maintaining my relationship with the Savior and developing it, while battling the forces of chemistry that so easily interrupt our communication with divinity. The first of these methods I learned early on in my life, and I will add it was probably one of those grassroots-based coping mechanisms we tend to develop when we struggle to understand why we feel the way we do. One of the main problems with mental illness is our emotions and feelings do not match reality. We can feel very anxious, overly depressed, or even with mania, overly confident when our actions and environmental conditions would actually say otherwise. We could be blessed with many wonderful opportunities, relationships, and positive events in our lives. And yet, because of our altered emotional and mental state, Where we should be at peace, happy, and sustained, we feel as though the world is crashing down upon us, or that actually something evil is about to happen. Now, I've discussed how difficult it is for our mind and our body to be in this state of mixed emotions and confusion about what is real and what is not. For me, one of my coping mechanisms was to ignore my emotions and to move forward logically. Meaning, instead of feeling what was right or what I should do because I couldn't feel it, I would proceed based on what I knew to be true logically or what could be inferred by logic. 
Now, this will only get someone so far who is suffering, but it does provide for a method of avoiding some of the natural pitfalls that come with mental illness. Even when I was in the grasp of a deep depression or paralyzed by anxiety, I logically knew that I had been given experiences that had taught me what was true. So while I was suffering and could not easily feel the Spirit of the Lord, I could lean on my recorded experiences and, for the lack of a better word, book learning. I knew what I should be doing, even if I didn't have any desire to do it. I also knew what to avoid. Throughout my teenage and 20s, and even until I was later relieved of some of the more difficult parts of my illness, I leaned on the study side of my learning rather than the faith side of my knowledge. By the way, that reference of study and faith comes from Doctrine and Covenants 109, where the Lord tells us to learn by study and by faith. Elder Oaks commented on this scripture in one of his books called The Lord's Way. He notes that we learn both by study, which is by reason and logical inference, and by faith, which is personal revelation, and that both are incredibly important to our development. Because I could not always feel the necessary revelation through the Spirit, I often relied upon my study of the scriptures and other doctrinal sources to help me logically work through the many decisions and my concerns. Now, I admit, this will only get you so far when it comes to a relationship with the Lord. But when you suffer, it can be a valuable resource to your day-to-day life and interactions with others. My second method of working with my mental illness was to allow others to help me receive the revelation I needed in my life. When I needed understanding and revelation in communication with the Lord, and I knew that my emotions were being influenced by my illness, I would rely on trustworthy sources of revelation to help me know whether the revelation I had received was correct. Yes, we can and I could still feel personal revelation even through the mental illness, but it felt impossible to know if what I was feeling was correct or if it had even come from the Lord. I turned to others to help me, and that included my mother, my father, my wife, children, church members, and leaders. The Lord could help me see what he wanted through the revelation given to others. Now, it did require that I seek out more than one source and to trust that the Lord would provide help when I could not help myself. Mental illness tends to cause strong emotions and feelings that are not always correct. So not only did I seek out others close to me to help with obtaining revelation, but also to know if what I was feeling was correct. Now, acting on on a righteous desire can be difficult without interference from mortality, but having no desire to act, even when I knew it was the right thing to do, posed another significant difficulty in my life. So not only did I use others to help me see what I should be doing, I also used them to help me motivate me to accomplish the task. I don't know of anything more difficult than moving forward and accomplishing service for the Lord when every fiber of your mortal body doesn't care to leave the bed or the house. It is terribly difficult to do anything without desire and motivation. And so at times, other individuals had to be my tough love motivation. I cannot count how many times my family helped me to attend church, continue reading scriptures, be motivated to interact with them, even in a small part. I have often wondered about my own motivations and faith when I had no desire to attend church, read scriptures, attend the temple, 
and really so many of the other important life events that help us with our relationship with the Savior. I knew by doctrine that both the action and the motivation are important to the Lord. That doctrine is taught very clearly in Moroni 7 in the Book of Mormon. So if my motivation was not as pure as it should have been, or even that I had no desire to do what I'd been asked, would I still receive the blessing? I have concluded personally that because of the lack of des- that my lack of desire had to do with forces out of my control, that the blessing would not be withheld if I acted according to what I knew to be true, but I didn't feel at the time. It would simply be unjust to allow for someone's desire and motivation to be altered by physical chemistry and then to deny them the blessing because they did not possess the correct desire. I found that the Lord would bless me even when my heart was not concerned or not desiring to accomplish the task. So while it is true that you will know the tree by its fruit, and its fruit is a composite of what we do and why we do it, The Lord in His mercy makes up the difference when our motivations are altered by our illness. The third method of working through my mental illness while establishing my relationship with the Savior was to allow for mercy. I didn't come to understand this method until much later in my life. I needed to allow for the Lord to extend me mercy when my illness caused difficulties. I know that it sounds strange to say, allow the Lord to extend mercy, but often when we suffer, Our illness causes us to feel worthless and unworthy to feel and possess the Savior's love for us. We can actually interfere with the merciful hand of the Lord when we don't allow Him to extend it to us. And when we don't allow for the Lord's mercy, Lucifer slowly grasps us with his chains of indifference, stating that we are not worthy or sufficiently valuable enough for the Lord to extend His mercy. He will also tell us that we are not deserving and that until we straighten out our desires and our lives and difficulties, we will never be accepted by the Lord. Of course, that is all a lie. All that the Savior requires for His mercy to be applied to our situations is for us to ask for it to work and to allow for it to flow into our lives. I spent far too many years trying to feel a certain way so that the Savior's mercy could be applied. What I can tell you is that the Savior has far more mercy available than we can often imagine, and that is no more true than when you speak of mental illness. We do not need to be punished or attain to a certain level of obedience or feel a certain way or honestly even feel the mercy when it is applied in our lives. We simply must allow it to flow into our lives as the Savior sees fit. That is one lesson I wish I had learned much sooner in my life. The fourth method for developing my relationship with the Savior has to do with direct communication and prayer. Prayer, by its very nature, personal communica- is personal communication with the Father and Savior and deals directly with feelings of personal revelation. But anyone who has ever dealt with mental illness realizes that prayer during mental illness episodes can feel impossible. It is difficult to even imagine a loving God, much less talk with Him. I will admit that learning to pray and listening and listen and simultaneously dealing with the symptoms of mental illness can actually be sometimes counterproductive to the process of relationship development. I have struggled through more prayers than I can count without any feeling that the words are leaving the room, much less finding heaven. I have always 
desired a deep two-way communication with the Lord on a regular basis, where I would be able to talk with him in very connected and moving ways. And yet, I have struggled much of my life to attain such a high level of communication. There are two things that have helped with my emotional disconnect in prayer. The first of these is to be honest. I found that the more honest I am without being disrespectful to the Lord, the better the communication becomes. There have been times when most of my prayers were about my symptoms and how little desire I felt to pray when I prayed. There is nothing wrong with telling the Lord of your difficulties with the illness. In fact, this is one of the things that has helped me most when I pray, to acknowledge what I currently lack or feel. Yes, the Lord knows exactly how you feel, but prayer is more about aligning ourselves with the Lord, not aligning the Lord with where we stand. So discussing what, how, when, and the difficulties we are experiencing helps us to view our illness from the Lord's perspective. Yes, it is still going to feel as though the words don't get through the ceiling at times, but as we acknowledge the struggle, the Lord sends help in various ways, even when we don't see it or can't feel it. I was actually talking to my wife the other day about my experiences, especially when we were younger and how I how I could see just how much the Lord protected me during my years with mental illness, a more severe form of mental illness. There were so many opportunities for my life to fall off the rails, but it didn't. And looking back, I honestly can't tell you why. The only thing I can say definitively is that the Lord must have been more involved in my life than I could ever have imagined. The second thing I learned about prayer is that my answers to questions rarely came during my prayers. Because of the illness, the Lord often used various methods to demonstrate what he wanted me to do, and that meant that most of the answers I sought came outside of my daily prayers. In addition to my answers coming outside of kneeling in prayer, I asked the Lord that he would show me his hand in my life. When I did this, I realized just how involved he had been and was in my life, and just how often my prayers were being answered. I am not sure if it is the same for people who do not have mental illness, but for me, I would ask, I would pray, ask for what I felt I needed, and then I would wait on the Lord. What I do know is that the Lord can work with and sometimes around our illnesses to help us see his hand in our lives and develop that trusting relationship. The fifth and final method that helped me to develop a closer relationship was to better define that relationship, what that relationship would look like in my life. Too many times I wanted to define my relationship with the Lord in a certain way. I wanted him to come to me and speak with me as I saw fit. I wanted answers sent in a certain way. I wanted to define the relationship between us. When I began to allow the Lord to define what the relationship would be, I found a much closer alignment and trust. I had to simply let go of my preconceived notions about what I thought prayer should be and how I thought that the Lord should answer. I had to see my relationship as a spiritual one, not defined by mortal definitions of trust, love, devotion, and loyalty. When I allowed for the Savior to define these ideals and our relationship, I progressed much more quickly and learned a great deal more about how the Savior desires to interact with us personally, in our own lives. One of the more important things I learned 
was to keep my spiritual eyes and ears open and to allow the Lord to answer me in his way, not in my way. For me, our relationship became far more personal when I allowed for the Lord to help me see what our relationship should and could be. I know that I make it sound like it happened overnight, but the reality is that once I allowed for the Lord to define the relationship, it took several years, if not many, for that relationship to develop one small experience and event at a time. One of the main things that I learned about establishing a deep and abiding relationship with the Lord is that it takes time and effort to understand the Lord's method of relationship development and that our relationship with Him can be and is very, very personal. The final thing that I truly desire to express today about developing this relationship is to keep working. There are going to be times when it doesn't feel personal or even as though any relationship exists. Because of mortality and of mental illness, there will be times when you will even doubt God exists or that if he does, that he even cares for you. You will feel as though the lines of communication have been severed so deeply that there's no way you could ever believe. Strangely, as I have pondered this, this is some of the things we must pass through as part of our relationship development. Our relationship is going to be tested and tried just like every other part of mortality. What I can tell you, though, is that if you will press through these moments that sometimes feel terribly long, you will be rewarded with a deeper relationship and trust in the Savior and a deeper understanding of mortality and the reasons that you and I have come to this earth. Now, may the Lord bless you to develop a deeper relationship with Him and the Father. And of course, may you do your part so that the Lord can do His. Until next week.